about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she once got lost on an escalator. It's my sister, Marissa. It's called directional insanity. Look it up. It's a very serious medical condition. Yes. Very serious affliction. Uh, before we even get into the recap... Yes. Can we talk about my boy Chidi for a minute? Of course, we can always talk about him. His outfit at the very beginning of this episode... Like, the cream-colored turtleneck with, like, the sort of gray speckled blazer. You're you're into it? I'm very into it. (laughs) It is so, so handsome. Holy guacamole. He's got a lot of good, um... Like, academia gear. Yes! (laughs) He's got a lot of good, uh, like, doesn't he have, like, a green sort of tweed jacket at one point? Yeah, maybe this was like a gray tweed. I don't really know what tweed means. I think it's a weave. Okay. A particular weave of, of or a particular fiber. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I just think of like the the, the patches on the uh, elbows, but that's yeah. not what tweed means. No. But if we have any fashionistas who are listening, yeah, please get at us. Um, how can people... Get in touch with us to tell us what tweet is or what their favorite cheaty outfit was. <laughs> uh, we have a website, goodplay.cast.rocks. We are also on Twitter at the Good Play Pod and on Facebook at the Good Play. And we also have a, a Gmail, uh, the Good Play Pod, at gmail.com. Are you checking that Gmail? I checked it yesterday. No one has emailed us. Okay. <laughs> I was just checking. <laughs> so I, I did. I was like, oh, man. I bet there's like, I was like, it's like I haven't checked in a little while, but we got tons of messages because Good Place was re- renewed for season three. Nothing, man. Okay. Well. Get at us, guys. I'm telling you. <laughs> I know the listeners exist. Yeah. We did get a listener mailbag question on Facebook that we'll get to towards yeah, the we'll end. Yeah, we'll get to the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that we have we have a lot of listeners in the United States. When I say a lot, you know, the entire, the total comes to like no more than 50, right? But we have a lot of listeners in the United States, a few in Canada, and then I believe one in the Netherlands. Shout out to the Netherlands. Hi, Netherlander. Is that what you're called? Are you Dutch? I, I, oh, is that right? I think. Oh my God. Are we offending? Are, are we, did we just lose our one European listener? He was like, stop talking. Stop done. talking. Brianna, stop talking. <laughs> no, I was going to say that uh, your national uh, football team is quite good. So looking forward to seeing you at the World Cup. Oh, you'll be attending in person, of course. <laughs> yes. Well, the U.S. didn't make it. So I got to, I got to cheer for somebody else. Well, the Netherlands is as good a place as any. <laughs> <laughs> And Canada, we're very grateful to you as well. Our neighbors to the north. I'm just thinking of the the Epcot Canada movie with Martin Short. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great. Please, get- please get the show moving before I start singing that Canada song they have at the end of that movie. <laughs> so we've already gone through where you can find us. So we're going to do an episode recap today that's kind of a little bit more loosey-goosey for the 
the episodes that we're recapping uh, from season one, we tend to make it a little bit more of a quick recap and mostly a discussion about the things that we're noticing with all the guilty knowledge we have about the twist and about uh, everything we know from season two so far. So we've got a recap, uh, we've got some discussion points, and then uh, we've got a listener mailbag question that I'm very excited about. That I don't think I'm going to be able to contribute to at all, but um, well, that's it fine. It mentions Encyclo- Encyclopedia Brown. I know, but then it also mentions some some TV show I've never watched. How dare you? Supernatural. <laughs> okay. Don't spoil it. <laughs> oh, that's true. Um, so do you want to go through the recap or should I? Yeah, real quickly. So we open on Chidi giving Eleanor a philo- uh, philosophy class. Um, and Eleanor's not really paying attention because she's kind of staring at this you don't belong here note. Tani comes by with a housewarming plant for Eleanor and Eleanor sort of thinks Tahani as being a condescending bench. Um, <laughs> Chidi recommends that Eleanor actually try to make friends with Tahani, which Eleanor is not super interested in. Um, he has the- the, they have the best exchange there where she's like, oh, so you want me to like... Uh, treat her, be kind, and treat her with mutual respect. That wake up, Chidi. That's just what she wants me to do. And he's like, "That's what everyone wants all the time." I actually prefer when she says, "Who died and left Aristotle in charge of ethics?" And he's like, "Plato." Yeah. Like, <laughs> just going through this. Lot of, lot or wait, was, did I get those right? Was it soccer? It doesn't matter. A lot of good uh, exchanges at the beginning of. The- yeah, the, yeah. The dialogue between Eleanor and Chidi in this episode is like really on point. Yeah. Um. So the. B plot in this episode has to do with Michael trying to uh, get Chidi a new hobby. Okay, so I don't want to. I don't want to go through like every story beat of that. Yeah. But essentially, Michael uh, tries to take Chidi on a variety of like outings. Like you know, you can be a cartographer. You can be a newspaper editor. You can. Uh, what was another one? Uh, oh yeah, welding. you can become a yeah, you can be an arc welder. And he tells Chidi that the you know the thing he spent his life doing, which was writing this incredibly long was a sixteen hundred page treatise on ethics. He says he Michael says that the treatise is unreadable. He's like, Ulti- I literally found out what a headache was because this thing gave me a headache. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Uh, yeah, and one time he he just sort of like just totally totally calmly is just like I don't know, man. This thing is unreadable. <laughs> the delivery by Ted Danson is so plus. choice. Yeah. Um, ultimately, Chidi um, and Chidi gets really discouraged by the fact that Michael hated his treatise. But ultimately, Eleanor kind of brings his confidence back by saying, you know, Michael doesn't actually know everything. He doesn't know that I'm here. By accident. Which we'll get to, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, you're a good teacher. And, and Chidi kind of takes heart from Eleanor's statements and um, decides to, like, rewrite his entire ethics treatise, which I don't think we ever really get back to, do we? No, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, okay. So that's the B plot of this episode. So the A plot is um, Eleanor and Tahani. Uh Eleanor goes to Tahani, she brings some pears, and Tahani rightfully tells her that because Jianyu is um, Chinese, that uh, pears are considered a 
very bad luck. This is actually true. I, I Googled it. Oh. <laughs> this is a real thing. You do not bring pears into uh, a household in China. Um, and uh, Tahani wants to go visiting everybody in the neighborhood to make sure everybody's doing okay after the chaos. Eleanor uh, volunteers to go with her. And when Eleanor is reporting this back to Chidi, she's like saying all this super suspicious stuff about Tahani. And then the house plant actually like wilts in response to what Eleanor is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, Eleanor and Tahani go door to door and Tahani is telling Eleanor about her life and it makes Tahani sound kind of perfect in a lot of ways. So, right. So from place to place, all these people who we think are residents but are actually bad place employees are telling Tahani like what a wonderful person she is. And um, Eleanor is just kind of getting more and more jealous. Back at Tahani's house, Tahani goes to start her like 64 step Korean skincare regimen <laughs> and leaves Eleanor unattended in her living room. And Eleanor finds Tahani's diary and sneaks it home, but Chidi catches her. And she, when she admits to stealing the, the diary, uh, the house plant that Tahani gave her bursts into flames. Uh, and Eleanor is saying, you know, I think I want to match the handwriting between the note and the diary. And I think Tahani wrote me the note. And she says, no, you know, your guilty conscience wrote that note and manifested itself. And Eleanor's like, oh, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Eleanor admits that good people like Tahani make her insecure, which we kind of see supported through some flashbacks that I'm not not going to get into. Eleanor is going to return to Hani's diary. She, she kind of goes back to the house to sneak it back in. She hears Tahani crying. She goes in. And Tahani is like really upset that she can't connect with uh, Jianyu because he has taken a vow of silence. And Eleanor's like, look, you know, you're you're beautiful and you have eternity. So like, it's okay. And they hug and it's actually really sweet. Yeah. Um, and back at the house, the house plant has like grown to be like six feet tall and has all these beautiful flowers. And Chidi's like, hey, it looks like you learned a lesson. And he gives her a hug too. And it's actually really sweet. It is very sweet. And um, then, you know, sort of Tahani, the next day, Tahani tells Eleanor that um, she has recommended that Eleanor be Michael's assistant and trying to figure out what's going on with the neighborhood, which Eleanor's like, how could I say no? (laughs) Okay, great. That night, um, she finds another note that says, you know, you don't belong here and meet me in the town square. She goes out. She meets... Jianyu, quote unquote Jianyu. And, um, you know, at first he has sort of that monk persona being like, you know, just admit it, you don't belong here. And she's like, I'm trying to be better, man. Like, you know, be cool. And he's like, I'm, I don't belong here either. I'm freaking out, homie. <laughs> That's the end of the episode. I, watching it again, I, the, the pace at which all this stuff happens is, is pretty crazy. I mean, we're in the third episode and, Already we have Jianyu talking for the first time. We don't we don't know his name yet. His real no, name. yeah, I, I did sort of expect that to take like half the season. <laughs> yeah. So where do we want to start with the the discussion? Okay, can I just get the thing out of the way? Yeah. I don't know how to explain the house plant. That's exactly what I was gonna say. The conversation that we had last episode. I don't know how to explain it, and 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 I don't want to hear all of you apologists telling me. That Michael could perfectly predict what exactly was going to happen with the Eleanor and Tahani relationship or whatever crazy thing you're going to tell me is the thing. We spent enough. I actually listened back to the episode from last week. I was like, oh, we spent a lot of time on this. So, like, I don't have any interest in rehashing it. But, like, I see 
no explanation given the like in-universe details we have now of like how this house plant miraculously reacted to Eleanor's inner state about you know regarding Tahani. That's nonsense. Yeah, like I, I think, and I think that's going to be the case for like a lot of things. Um, you know, we did really belabor this last week, so I don't think we need to do it again. I agree with you, but. I genuinely wonder if at some point we are going to see like almost a like a an architect's factory of like here's all the different like tech we have for these places because I could imagine right that the good place or the bad place could have a, a plant or some kind of object that functions as like a mood ring. Right? Oh sure, but like don't you think that like Tahani like called Janet and said, "Hey, I want like a really beautiful house plant." Why would Janet give her a mood ring plant? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. I, I I do I wonder, you know, I it's almost like we need the continuing adventures of like we need like a season 1.5 where we get a little bit of like a backstage tour of some of this stuff. Yeah, like the way, um, oh, this is a terrible reference. I apologize in advance, but like, you know how Stephanie Meyer was going to write Twilight from Edward's point of view? Stop talking right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. One hundred. She got most, <laughs> she mostly finished it. and then What like, are you doing? <laughs> she mostly finished uh... it. And then I think some of it leaked on the internet, which I don't even know how that's possible. Like, what it, did you, did someone hack into your computer? But whatever. Um, and then after it leaked, she, like, had a temper tantrum and said she wasn't going to finish it. But I've read the stuff that was leaked. You and... <laughs> Look, I, I, I am a pretty... I've known om- you for 30 years! <laughs> I'm a pretty omnivorous reader, okay? Like, I'm not going to be stuck up about Twilight. Be stuck up about other things. Oh my god. Okay, uh, if you would like a different I, analogy, that's fine. But like, yes, no, 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 but be... I understand. I understand what you're like. Um, a better author, uh, like <laughs> Philip Pullman, right? Wrote Once Upon a Time in the North, or uh, or those are like... companion pieces. It's not the same. It's not the same period of time being examined from a different point of view than you've already seen. Mm. Would you say like? I guess Fantastic Beasts wouldn't fit into that either. No. Usually this kind of thing happens, like, in very convoluted, either, like, mystery novels or mystery, like, television shows. You know, like, in a television show, they start flashing back to all the, like, oh, and then you put the poison in the wine. And it's like, we have a flashback of, like, someone pouring powder into a a thing of wine. Yeah, yeah. a, a, a bottle a decanter a decanter of wine <laughs> yeah that's like every episode of psych my favorite yeah. show on the planet mm-hmm. yeah i guess i can't be too stuck up about you liking uh no uh, i i well let's 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 be clear psych is not teaching anybody like horrific relationship values so. that's true psych is still, be- great it's still better than twilight <laughs> yeah. um yeah, I think we almost need, we need, like, you know, some some companion, not companion pieces, but some kind of, like, examination of, um, like, I think the Star Wars Expanded Universe is a good example of this, or, like, any <laughs> comic series that has, like, 
you look at um, the same event from different people's perspectives. Oh, we got a little bit of that at the end of season one, you know, like that, that really great part where um, Michael kind of billets like a, another couple with Eleanor and Sheedy, like mm-hmm. the marriage counselor yep, and yep. the detective or whatever. Yeah. Um, and we got to see that from their point of view. Like that was great. But we kind of need the whole season. <laughs> I think we do kind of need the whole, I think you're right because that when you saw it in retrospect made a ton of sense but you almost need like, um, you know, Michael and Janet or Michael and a bad place employee, like, you know, putting something together that's like um, uh, like an autonomous object almost. Because that's what all of these things are, right? The trash that's falling from the sky or the plant that withers and blooms, depending on Eleanor's mood towards Tahani. You know, these are all like in the moment inanimate object reactions to Eleanor's presence, right? That we, at the beginning of the first season, when we have no idea what the real spin is at the end, um, what the twist is, like, we think that those things are reacting to her because she's a bug in the system. But in reality, we find out later that, of course, all this stuff is meant to torture her, but how could they possibly there's got to be some mechanism that controls all this stuff but we never we just never see it no okay yep let's let's put that away okay and now i want to talk about how this is actually sort of like a plus torturing of chidi <laughs> i i this, oh, yeah. it's, it's so perfect because it 100% comes off as genuine concern on michael's part Mm-hmm. It totally comes off as like, you're not a very good author of ethical treatises. And I want you to have like, I want you to have a nice afterlife. So like, let's try to pick a different thing. But like, in retrospect, he picked three activities that are like uniquely ill-suited to Chidi, which he of course knows. Yeah. And now we know it was just now like, oh, this was knows. just him. You know, this was just him. Having fun. This is just Michael, like, twisting the knife, you know, being like, oh, um, the thing you spent your entire career on is no good. And also, like, here's a supposedly random list of activities for you to do that, like, are all horrible for you. Tailor-made for you to be miserable, yeah. 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 Directional insanity. (laughs) That's pretty great. And it does give us almost, like, you know... We got a different version of that at the beginning of season two, where Chidi is tortured by having to make a decision between the two women, Angelique and Pavita. Right. Um, you know, this is a lot subtler because we don't know Chidi as well. So this is also like a good way for us to get to know his character a little bit, too. Because by the time you get to season two, you know a lot more about him and his indecision and his sort of like he's trepidatious about a lot of things but like right now you don't really know that so this is also just like a fun exploration of like you know he's so indecisive that he couldn't name his own dog um, oh right and like you know he's 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 very um cerebral but he's not very good with physical things like the welding really scares him and stuff um yeah it was really fun but i felt bad for I felt bad for Chidi. Well, you know, at the end of the day, sort of his his innate positive spirit prevailed. I mean, with a yeah. little help from Eleanor. Yeah, which was very sweet. 
It was super sweet. I mean, he he got back to the place of like, I want to resume my life's work. Now, the fact that we never hear about this again is a little weird. Like, yeah. you know, you would think you would just kind of see him maybe jotting something in a notebook or, you know, typing something at a typewriter. But it seems to have been a plot point in this episode that then got dropped pretty quickly. Yeah, or like, I almost would have liked him. Now, he couldn't have had Michael as his advisor for this, but I almost would have liked him to get the idea to like scrap his old treatise and treat his experiment with Eleanor as like a new treatise. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then also Michael being the advisor, let's just say that both those things were happening and somehow, somehow, and Michael being the advisor, just constantly feeding cheaty, like subtly wrong information about ethics. Like, yeah, it's actually, um, yeah, if you uh, if you uh, ride your car in a monster truck rally, that's actually like a thousand points. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like a monster, tr- huh? Okay, <laughs> gotta get something in about monster trucks. Yeah, there. I mean, there's there are a lot of. I think they. I think you're probably right because there there seems like there's a lot of really rich possibilities here with Michael and Chidi interacting, but what they chose to focus on instead, we see at the end of the episode, which is Eleanor's relationship with Michael um, and her sort of helping Michael figure out what's going wrong in the neighborhood. Oh yeah. The rest of season one is very, there's a lot around Eleanor's sort of assistantship, um, which is very ethically complicated for her. Yeah. Yeah. I also really, I, I do really just want to underscore that I, I know that I was like not on board the the shipper train for these two uh in at the end of the first season and I'm I'm slowly coming around um but I do think that the moment where she kind of like sh- she says to him like I get bored writing a text message you wrote you know 3000 <laughs> pages on like the most complicated subject in human history like be proud of yourself and he kind she kind of like touches his hand the little smile he has on his face after I that I know very cute <laughs> <laughs> He's great he's great and and there and it just shows that like you know they were that they become pretty fast uh like partners in crime. Almost. Yeah, it's taken them like 48 hours to basically become BFFs. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> but um, it's funny because that's true in this iteration, but the iteration that they end up in, it's not true at all. What do you mean? So the this is iteration number one, yeah. and they seem to have very little animus towards each other and are getting along pretty famously. Um, iteration 802, I believe that's the one we end up on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 802, they are sniping at each other and, you know, really just treating each other pretty cruelly. Mm. Um, when we see them, uh, you know, initially, you know, they're riding the train to the medium place and all oh, that. Yeah. So it does raise so many questions about like, you know, human relationships and how they are colored by the initial conditions. Yeah, that's true. Because I, part of, I think, the reason why they're sniping at each other so much is that it's the stress of the situation of figuring out that they're in the bad place and Chidi sort of coming to grips with that. I mean, I think we had a conversation, not last time, but two time, two episodes ago, about how Chidi doesn't really even question this sort of infallible formula. So to him, you know, he's in the good place and he's doing a good thing for somebody 
and he warms up to her when she starts learning her lesson, right? It's a different, uh, it's a different um, kind of relationship when he realizes, or he, he has a different kind of reaction when he realizes he's in the bad place too. And yeah, with Eleanor, with and Eleanor, Jason. right? Like with these people who are not as good as him. Worse than yeah. him. <laughs> like yes. as much as much as I like Eleanor, she in her life on Earth actively went out of her way to make other people uh miserable yeah, miserable and yeah. chidi you know we've talked at length about how you know chidi doesn't really of all of them chidi is like the most morally upstanding yeah so i think you're right it's about the the context in which they they find themselves and then you know it's 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 in eleanor's in season two like it's in eleanor's nature to get defensive because she's never known anybody to truly care about her so her defense mechanisms are up all the time i would argue that that last boyfriend of hers really cared about her but i don't think she was capable of letting him in yeah i agree with that and he was like we saw him in the flashbacks in this episode like try to be a good person um, yeah, and trying to inspire her slightly to be a better person, and she was not having it. Just in, like, very, very uh, everyday ways. And I think that's, in a in a weird way, kind of the... One of the bigger lessons of the show itself, I think, is that you don't necessarily have to devote your life to the study of ethics and moral philosophy. You don't necessarily have to, you know... Um, what does Tahani say that she do? She did like sacrifice herself to save others. And that's, you know, that's how she, or like change the hearts and minds of a nation. Like you don't have to do that in order to be, you know, can to try to be a good person, right? You can, you know, go to a coffee shop, a different coffee shop than the coffee shop run by the sleaze bag. Who's, you know, feeling up women who, who interview for jobs there. You can also see David Bowie died. Think about tweeting about David Bowie and then say to yourself, you know what? The world doesn't need to hear my thoughts about David Bowie. (laughs) One of my favorite screen cap moments of The Good Place. Or like, you know, I I think that we, we try not to get super, you know, into the real world of Earth on this show. But like, I think it's a good... um, lesson to be reminded of when we are faced with so many like really harsh realities about um people in the entertainment industry and people in politics and and you know the does the art that you create or the product that you make or anything like that you know does it stand apart from you as a human being who have done certain things or is it just as easy to like watch a different movie or you know, support artists who are, you know, in underrepresented groups, that sort of thing, you know? Hmm. Hmm. I have nothing to add to that. That's some real talk. <laughs> <laughs> or some real life talk, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Janet's C-plot was kind of fun. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. I'm supposed guessing, to be weird. Yeah, I'm guessing that Michael was not 100% comfortable with Janet as she is out of the box and was kind of trying to tweak her to be a little bit more to his liking as someone who is actually a bad place employee. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then kind of came to find out that it's not really possible to make Janet operate any better 
than the way she operates under normal circumstances. Well, and I thought it was interesting, like the the phrasing that he uses towards the end is something like, you know, or throughout actually is like, you know, this isn't what she's designed to do. She's she's acting as my assistant, but it's not really working because it's not what she's designed to do. And we find out in the second season um, that that iteration 802 of this Janet, right, uh, is also not acting as she's designed to do. And look what happens, right? She starts glitching and... Yeah, she uh, almost destroys the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's interesting to see how Janet has evolved, too, from, you know... I, and I think, too, maybe part of it was an exercise, maybe like a meta exercise for the writers of trying to figure out like what exactly Janet's voice is, you know, do we make Yeah, her... it's totally impossible to imagine this C plot happening now in season two. Yeah. Right? This whole like, well, I'm just gonna tweak with Janet's settings and make her act differently. Now, I mean the audience would be against you Im- immediately. The audience would be like, hey, Janet is a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, she is. Like she, Darcy Carden is is has put so much life into that character that Janet is a friend of mine. Yeah. You know? So like don't don't go messing around with her. Like that's, you know, it like sort of violates her her autonomy in some way almost. Yeah. I mean, and we talked a lot about how she's become more like a human and we think of her like more of a human, but I think in episode 3 of the first season they can still get away with sort of treating her like Siri or Alexa with a body, you know, busty Alexa. Busty Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did want my other point was uh, that Eleanor, you know, when when she and Michael are having that conversation, she says, "What does Michael know?" And he says, "Oh, everything." And she says, "Michael does not know everything because Michael does not know that I'm not supposed to be here." And of course, we now know that he, of course, did. Yeah, but he still doesn't know everything. That's true. I mean, as evidenced by Sean all the hijinks, the all the hijinks that uh, the quartet gets up to without Michael really knowing about it. Yeah. Running away to the medium place like 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> Forgetting the cocaine each time. Yeah. Um, you know, stuffing a note in Janet's mouth. You know, everything that they get up to without Michael knowing about it. I mean, he is... He is you know, omniscient in a funny way about their entire life stories of what happened on Earth. It's almost like what happened on Earth, you know, was being written in a book. And as soon as they died, the book was completed and finalized and published. And Michael has read it. But the book of their afterlives is constantly being edited and scribbled out and rewritten. And Michael only has sort of a tenuous grasp on what's in there. That's a really good metaphor. Well, as you know, I am obsessed with books. <laughs> they are your real, true soulmates. Me and Chidi. Yes. In a threesome with books. <laughs> and that sweater, apparently. Oh, yeah. It's a great outfit. <laughs> Just, whew. It's a lovely outfit. This is a very Tahani-heavy episode. Yeah. How would you feel about that? I actually felt pretty good about it. I I was surprised by how quickly I warmed to her. Um, Partially because like now, you know, we talked about this last time. It's always a, it's always tricky knowing exactly how much with Tahani that we can believe that she's being truthful about. Yeah. So I, when I say what I'm about to say, I'm taking her at her word, which I think 
in this particular instance, I have sufficient evidence to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she she did have kind of an amazing life. She accomplished a lot. She did donate a ton of her time to for charitable causes. She made good choices. You know, she she was a really good person. And yeah, as Chidi says, she is condescending and British. <laughs> and we know that her motivations of sort of outdoing her sister ultimately undermined everything she was trying to accomplish, which is really a shame. Yeah. But um, she really does not have any malice towards anyone, it doesn't seem like. Like, she does get sort of a little bit underhanded and competitive when she kind of figures out how to see the point totals from the neighborhood. Yeah. And, you know, she's like annoyed that Eleanor has uh, the second most points, I think. But I think, I feel like everything she's doing in this episode is really genuine. You know, she really genuinely wants to bring comfort to the other people in the neighborhood. Um, She genuinely gives Eleanor, like, a housewarming gift. And, and, you know, everything seems pretty from the heart, as far as I can tell. And so, for me, it's like, you know, like, she's an annoying person. Some people are annoying. <laughs> and and she's not always on the up and up. But, but a lot of the time, she is. And she seems, like, fundamentally a pretty good person. And so, I think it would be pretty... Um, it would be pretty churlish of me to take Eleanor's point of view on Tahani I think yeah yeah I mean and I think particularly the end of the episode sort of underscores you know Tahani is as we've talked about a lot about appearances right that's the that's her whole downfall in the end is that she the the appearance of being good is more important to her than actually being good and that's why she's grading sometimes and that's why she can kind of get underhanded or whatever um but I think you know, their relationship starts to get more real when Eleanor gets to see underneath the facade and she gets to see that Tahani, who is this, you know, beautiful, sophisticated, accomplished woman, still has, um, you know, some level of insecurity about her own relationship and and some level of, like, real emotion. You know, she's not just um, a like a, a social a fairy tale uh, princess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that she has, you know, she's not just a condescending giraffe. She has like real feelings. And uh, so I, I think that was a nice way to kind of, and, and I actually do really like the fact that throughout the rest of the season, they develop like a real, it, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a perfect friendship, but I don't think any friendship really is. It's a, you know, it, it's a pretty real friendship between two sort of mismatched women, much like that uh, that BBC show that Tahani makes Eleanor watch. Yeah. Margaret and something. It's like, yeah. was it like upstairs, downstairs or something? But like a fake, I don't know, like a fake version. It's just of... two women. It's not a whole household or anything. Um, but it's just, you know, what I liked about that is that they what I liked about their friendship over the course of the season, and this is the beginning of it, we're seeing the beginning of it now, is that, you know, Eleanor realizes that she's been wrong to a certain degree about Tahani. Tahani starts to appreciate Eleanor more. And, 
you know, they don't do the things and they actually call it out later on in the season. Like, we're not going to do that thing where we fight over a guy. We're going to be friends instead. That's right. You know, we're not going to do that thing where we, where we're pitting ourselves against each other for some artificial thing. Like we're going to still be friends. And Tahani, you know, fights for her, fights for Eleanor by the end of the season. And Eleanor, you know, we're jumping way ahead. I'm jumping way ahead, but like Eleanor, when she says goodbye, because she thinks she's going to the bad place at the end of the season, really genuinely seems to have a lot of affection for Tahani. It's, it's kind of a shame. And I'm sure this was intentional on the part of the writers. It's kind of a shame that we have this whole first season where the four of them really get to be close. I mean, Jason less so than the other three. Of course, Jason marries Janet, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you, we have this first season where the quartet really draws close to each other and, and they become really intimate. And it's sort of beautiful that they have found each other in what turns out to be sort of this... Um, wasteland of an afterlife where they are completely alone and cut off from all other humans and in this sort of little clockwork torture chamber um and then you know as we tick through the iterations sometimes they are they get closer each other to each other than in other iterations and unfortunately the iteration we land on is one where there is a lot more interpersonal conflict yeah Chidi and Eleanor are at each other's throats. Eleanor and Tahani, I mean, are barely speaking. Yeah. Um, and Jason and uh, Tahani at least have a better relationship in that final iteration. But um, it, it really kind of makes you nostalgic for the first season in a way. You know, everything was sort of lovely in a, in a weird way. In their weird, ignorant of the truth, you know um hiding from the law kind of way <laughs> they were in this really lovely place where like i mean let's be real i eleanor never seems to have had a, any real deep friendships in her life no um she had uh, one familial relationship with her cousin um but her cousin was a little girl so she didn't have any adult friendships. She didn't seem to have any functional relationships. That one boyfriend, like I said, was like a pretty nice guy who seemed to want to do right by her. But also, you know, they mentioned in this episode that like, you know, Eleanor says, I've read your emails to your dad. I know you want to break up with me. So like that also was not a functional relationship, even though that guy was like a pretty good guy. Yeah. Um, and Chidi, we don't know as much about his life, but we can kind of assume that he never really had a, functional adult relationship at least not a romantic one well he He had a very good he says that not in this episode but in the episode with the two bad place employees who like are pretending to be the marriage counselor oh 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 nina and bart yeah 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 you know (laughs) why do i remember their names why ask me what my husband's birthday is (laughs) um but he says that he says like i've never really had um a real relationship before and the thought of having a soulmate is daunting and it's not you know obviously without giving too much away he's saying it's not what i thought it was gonna be right yeah i mean he had that really close friendship with his best friend so it's not as though chidi was cut off from humanity the way that eleanor was yeah but i mean tahani also was damaged in her own way i mean she also seemed i think she makes mention of at some point that she never really had any close 
relationships either because she was never really sure what they wanted from her. Isn't that right? What did, she says something to Jason, right? About I don't, I don't remember. I'm not sure either, but she says something to Jason about how um, she never really got that close to anybody. Um, she was never allowed. She says something about how she was never allowed to like cut loose and be herself with anybody, right? Yeah. She says that in one of the the, the, the most recent episodes. Yeah. Um, so leaving Jason aside because. God knows about Jason, but the the three... You had that one friend who we did the heist with. Yeah. <laughs> the three people who we focus on in this episode, they all had these lives that were fundamentally lonely, and they never really had the opportunity to have deep human connections. And it's sort of beautiful how over the course of this season, they forge those connections with each other. And then it's tragic that it gets thrown away, literally at the snap of Michael's fingers. Yeah. He just makes it all go away. And now they are stuck in this iteration where, because of the initial conditions, um, they have not been able to forge those bonds in any way. And, you know, you kind of want to shake them. You kind of want to reach the TV and shake them and be like, it can be better than this. Like, you've done it better than this. You know, just get your head out of your butt and, yeah. like, and like see that that, you know, these people can be you know, your great friends or even your great loves. Yeah. I mean, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say was that Eleanor knows it can be better than this, right? Because she has, she's the video evidence, she has the video evidence that it can be, that their relationship can be stronger than this. Um, and so I think it is a real, a real testament to the writing of the first season that them not being as close in the second season is so painful in a way, you know, all of them. Uh, not just not just cheating Eleanor, but especially cheating Eleanor. That you see, yeah. watch them over the course of a season form a really special bond, and then, as you said, that bond just sort of evaporates instantly. And and they're trying to find their way back, but the conditions are different. So we're seeing a different iteration of what their relationship could have looked like. And you know, it's 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 harder to watch because we know what the potential is. Yeah. So we have a listener, Joel. Hi, Joel. He he sits next to me at work. <laughs> and he recommended that we have an outro song. So I picked an outro song. And, it, and it's a surprise to everybody, except for me. So you're going to have to listen to the end of the episode to hear what the outro song is. Ooh. Uh, but he also asked a question on the Facebook page. Would you care to read it? Oh, yeah. Our Facebook page now has... 10 members our facebook group uh oh, ho, ho. so we're getting up there in the world uh joel says hi good sisters hi joel long time listener first time writer how do you think either a the winchester brothers or b encyclopedia brown would figure out they were in the the bad in the bad good place and what do you think they would do about it that encyclopedia brown, that little shirt would figure it out immediately. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know why. But it would just be like, oh, the temperature of the water is 30 degrees cooler than is optimal according to the CDC. Therefore, bad place. I mean, he'd be on it. It's like Sherlock Holmes, right? I mean, he'd yeah. be on it like instantly. Now, you have to speak to the other people in this equation because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so I wrote back like a long thing about the Winchesters and Marissa's like, I don't know who these people are. 
So Sam and Dean Winchester are the brothers at the at the heart of my guilty pleasure show, Supernatural. And uh, I wrote that they would definitely figure it out. I don't know how. I think for them, it would probably be, you know, their lives are already kind of torture, like their lives on Earth. <laughs> so I wonder if it, if they were in a place that was too good to be true, they would probably figure it out instantly because they they don't believe that they you know really belong in a better place it's a lot of this show is like 99 percent brooding uh <laughs> so which is one of the reasons why i love it so i think that's how they'd figure it out i said and then they would agonize over whether or not they deserve to be in the good place the real good place at all and then each brother would offer to sacrifice his place in the good place for the other um which you know, if you watch Supernatural, and I feel like I'm just going to end up bringing up Supernatural like on every episode of this podcast. It hasn't been every episode, but it's it's been, it's been a lot. It's, it's been, been like a lot. maybe 40% of our episodes. I feel like there's some small contingent of listeners who are like big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans who are just like punching the wall like, God! Probably. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer got there first and Supernatural's just coasting off it. Or maybe even, um, what was that show with Holly Marie Combs? Uh, and Shannon Doherty. Charmed. I did Being not fans know that of... other actress's name. Tally Marie Combs is Piper. Ah, okay. Um, you know, you know they were, maybe they're like, oh, Charmed was doing magic before Supernatural was doing magic. Like, I'm OG fan of <laughs> Charmed. The guy, who was the, the guy on that show? Leo the White Lighter? Yeah. He's played by Brian Krause, so I know from the... Yes. Yes. Anyway. Got a lot of... <laughs> Brian Cross was like a a, a a pivotal figure in in my like adolescence of like ooh what's this, um, <laughs> but anyway um, yeah so in Supernatural the show there is a lot of the two brothers sacrificing themselves for the other one uh, and making so you think so in your situation that you have dreamed up they yes. are in the bad good place together, uh, yes just the two of them or other people too. That's a, um, they would certainly figure it out if their dad was there because their dad (laughs) or their mom, because their mom has been dead for a really long time and their dad died in the first season. Why would that mean that they would figure it out that it's actually the bad place? Well, because if they're there, then it's not reality. Their, their parents could be in heaven. I mean, why, why would that be hard to swallow? Actually, you're right. They, they probably would be. They, if they saw their mom, they'd be like, "Yeah, this sounds about right." I don't know about their dad, because he murdered a lot of a lot of uh, demons. Um, okay, <laughs> you're like, I don't really want to get, get too much farther into this, but yeah, there's a lot of like uh, brooding. I feel like there there's a lot of rich uh, crossover material that we could have. You know what? What Eleanor would totally fall in love with that one boy from that show who's not the boy from Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Is it Dean? So it's confusing Dean? because Dean from Gilmore Girls does not play Dean on Supernatural. Are they just trolling us with that, by the way? I think so. I think they're like, hey, Dean, do you want to come play a guy who's not named Dean, but this other guy's named Dean? So the uh, Jared Padalecki, I think is his name, plays Sam. Okay, uh, no, the other guy. The other guy is... Uh, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> What's the actor's name? Uh, 
I can't believe you don't have this memorized. Jensen Ackles. His his name is Jensen Ackles. Yes, that's a made up name. <laughs> it that's might be. a that's a witness protection program name. <laughs> we just we just uh, we threw some syllables into like a, uh, a, a kino jumble. machine. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we were playing Boggle, and uh, it's uh, Jensen Ackles for you. <laughs> It doesn't say that he, uh, it doesn't say that he has, like, that that's his stage name or anything. All right. In any case, <laughs> Eleanor would be all over Jensen Ackles. Okay. Dean. Yeah. And you know all what? Right. I so we're not talking about, we're not talking about the actual people. That's creepy. We're talking about the, the characters. If they got, if we're, if we're doing crossovers, yeah. then, I mean, that guy is basically Eleanor's hot mailman. He super is. He's also my hot mailman. <laughs> <laughs> They both are. It's bad, guys. It's bad. I don't remember Dean from Gilmore Girls being that appealing. Um, I will send you a picture of him now, and I think you will maybe feel differently. <sighs> will he take my heart away from Cheaty? No, because you don't have the same affliction I do. <laughs> for bad boys. Where you, like, you you have, like, a thing with for guys who, you know, are, they're scruffy looking and they're they're not the best, but they're trying to be good, you know? <laughs> Next time I'm going to get it right, baby. <laughs> I'm going to do right by you, baby. I haven't showered in a couple of days. I'm a little scuffed up. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I was supposed to make sure that my son took a shower this evening, and uh, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> His teachers he's are going to wonder if he's doing okay at home. <laughs> Is everything okay? He he smells like a barbecue. <laughs> a barbecue with dirty socks on it. You know what? Don't give don't give your son the same uh the, the same complex. That I'm not our saying mom this to him. Me. I'm saying it to you and to the fifty listeners of this podcast that he probably smells like a barbecue with dirty socks on it. Well, you know what? He gets that he comes by that naturally, because so do I. <laughs> if I don't shower. <laughs> By the way, any of you single male listeners who are thinking that you uh, might want to hit up my sister for a little uh, one-on-one time in the Big Apple. I will shower beforehand. (laughs) She will put on deodorant. (laughs) And you don't have to be a, a, a bad boy who's a little scruffy and trying to be a better person you can you can just be your normal self and i appreciate that in real life <laughs> it's just all of my fictional crushes are like this i did have a uh star wars marathon with a few friends uh in preparation for episode eight coming out uh in a couple of weeks and uh really reinforced all of my feelings for han solo yeah that's basically why this episode is late because you were spending the entire weekend watching star wars I cannot apologize for that. <laughs> I'm wrangling two kids. Look, I think it's well established <laughs> that you have a real life and I have a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> I'm taking the older one to Hebrew school. <laughs> trying to get the little one to take his nap. And you're in front of Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) I've been watching Star Wars for seven hours. So you did Rogue One, New Hope, Empire, Jedi, and Force Awakens. Yes. 
Yeah. In two days. Yeah. That's yeah. the correct collection and order of Star Wars films. I agree. Obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we're not even going to deal you with You want to have a off podcast? Oh, whenever. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode when we see uh, The Last Jedi. Yes. Oh my god. Or maybe instead of doing a hiatus episode that week, we'll do a Last Jedi episode. And I will, like, make sure that it is marked in the title as having spoilers. And we'll put in, like, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. And I won't put any spoilers into the episode description. But we will totally talk spoilers in that episode. Oh my god. I can't wait. I cannot. I'm just gonna sob every time Carrie Fisher is on screen. Oh, Carrie Fisher. (laughs) Why? Why are we taking from us? Bye. She's in the good place. She is in the good place. Did you hear what she did when her friend got sexually harassed? Yes, but just say it for the listeners in case they don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this story so that I don't get a single word of it wrong. Just a moment. <laughs> it is Carrie Fisher is a is an American treasure and I miss her every day. And I miss General Leia Organa. Very, very, oh, yeah. very much. <clears throat> Her friend, Heather Ross, in the year 2000, uh, she told this story in the year 2000. I think it actually happened a little longer ago. Um, so she was sexually harassed by a producer at Sony. And it doesn't say exactly what happened with the sexual harassment, what exactly it was, but whatever. So she told Carrie Fisher, this producer at Sony sexually harassed me. And then Carrie Fisher was at Sony. (laughs) I guess she was pitching something or being pitched something. She took a Tiffany's box to his office wrapped in a white bow. And inside was a cow tongue from Jerry's Deli with a note that said, If you ever touch my darling Heather or any other woman again, the next delivery will be something of yours in a much smaller box. Carrie Fisher... American treasure. Our rest in power, Kish- Carrie Fisher. Ugh, I miss her so much. I know. On that sad note, yeah, I think we will say goodnight. Alrighty. Until next time, be the general you want to see in the world. We'll catch you later, Ding Dongs. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Not, not.